Say that podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. All right. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. All right. With us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. All right. Well, that's all the ways you can say that. We did it. <laughs> oh, we got more. Congratulations. We, we got no, we more. No, I, we I feel like I, I was going to say though, Matt, when you said my name, it feels like I felt like saying we're back. Because right. we sure. ba- we batch record these, so like it feels like I hadn't hung with you guys in a while, so it feels like we hadn't done this in a while. Right. But I realized for the people, it comes out every week, which is a weird kind of timey-wimey situation. Yeah. It's like a big ball. Lee, I think you should go for it, dude. I want to hear your enthusiastic, we're back. And we're back! You know, that was excellent. Yeah. yeah. That was good, and we're backing. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Whenever I have a situation where we're doing this again, it's more of an, and we're back. That's, uh. that's actually a thing I say when something that normally goes wrong hasn't in a while. Right. And then like, oh, you know, that was broken, but I thought I had it fixed, like door handle, and then it pops off again, and we're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But all your paranoia comes true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yes, Lee's right, as we pointed out in a, in a couple of situations recently. For those who are curious about the behind-the-scenes process, we our normal recording schedules, we record two episodes kind right. of every other Sunday. Right. Just easier with everybody's schedule. Uh, we have staff meeting on Sundays. Lee has his high school Bible study, so it's, it would be uh, a bit tough to swing it every single week. But right. So we do that. We record two of them. If you want a fun game to play along at home, Guess by how weird things get, which one is the later one? (laughs) (laughs) And this, I'm going to warn you for both this and the next episode, which will come out next week that we record. um, We're also recording these on the daylight, the Sunday of daylight savings time. And on that basis, I declare an emergency. What possible emergency? Okay. First of all, uh, a lot of people get confused about the podcast. Yes, they do. Because uh, they they wonder when's it on. No, sure. literally no one. <laughs> and yeah. I, zero people. I have to say, well, I had the same question. Sure. You know, it, it was very confusing for me. And then I said to Matt, "When's it on?" And Matt says, "Well, it's a uh, you an know on demand service. You you record it and then they listen to it whenever." I said, "Well, so like, it's on right now." It's that's what I'm trying to say. If you want is, it to be, it's on. All the time. This is going out live? Every nope. well that that's that's what I thought. Like, do we have to record it every day or like uh... I think you just blew my mind. Then yeah, I mean, eventually like... I just told Jed it it plays every Thursday at eight. <laughs> so if you ever listen to the podcast not on Thursday at eight central time, don't tell Glenn. Right. You'll confuse him greatly. Matt, when we're living our normal lives, do well, the podcast super fans do the podcast super fans like do they know what's going on? Are they watching us like in the Truman Show? Like they know everything that's happening to us. Whoa! Yeah, it's pretty. Yes, Ed Harris is a big fan of the podcast. Was that <laughs> yeah. was that Lee's question? It's really hard to get your mind around the whole uh, because I asked uh, Matt, does, "Does do you just beam it into the future?" Right, and he he said, "Yeah, whatever." So that's yeah. how I was like, "Whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah." Wow. Well, he thought he's trying to hide the truth from me. Right. Well, now here's what we're dealing with: daylight saving time. Okay. Okay. 
Now, uh, first of all, this is what you call a conspiracy. Definitely. The government's in on this. Well, yes. via the train companies, yes. Well, because here's what happens is, today, I wake up, there's an hour missing. Whoa. Okay? What happened? Who took what it? What indeed? Who took it? Where did I go? Who probed me? <laughs> well, that was that's an old school conspiracy theory thing. That's, that was bound to happen. That's right. Was, before the days of the deep state and the lizard people and whatever it is now, pretty much every conspiracy theory radio Earth. program ended with a probing. That's right. Maybe. A conspiracy that goes all the way to the bottom. That's right. And that concludes the probe jokes. We're not going to top that one. We should move on. But uh, here's here's what it is is I I, I feel like uh, you know we're we're dealing with a lot here. Well, and I am now. There's a lot of confusion, no, and I'm people want to know you know what happened during that missing hour. Right. So I want to throw it over over to you guys. What do you think might have happened? Wow, I don't even. Here's the crazy thing. I think it goes even deeper than we've imagined already because mm. I don't even remember that missing hour. Me wow. neither. It's like you know you know that Men in Black movie? Yeah. Right? We you know, I think I saw that in science class. It was you know, a great documentary. You, totally. You did go to school in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Literally true. <laughs> um, so in that documentary with the men in black, right? Because yeah. yeah. it's about a government agency. That's thing number one. Hello. Clearly. They're not even trying to hide it. Yeah. But they got that brain erasing thing. Yeah, the they, flashy. The exactly. Right. And then it's yeah. gone. We've all been flashed, bro. That's what happened okay. to the hour. You're saying we saw the aliens. Yes. They didn't want us to remember it. Yes. Boom. Okay. No, that's not what happened. Also, you, gentle listener, might be thinking of this and thinking, well, I mean, every every non-degenerate in the world was asleep. So the, how would they know the missing an hour? No. Not the three of us <laughs> no. on this side of that podcast. They were awake we, when it happened. We yeah. saw that 159 turn into three. <laughs> yeah, no that's doubt <laughs> that's about right. it. Well, that's Lee, um, do you have, a con- you have a theory on this that uh, doesn't involve either treating Will Smith movies as science or uh, weird old AM radio conspiracies? I saw a couple of... I, I thought... I had a couple thoughts on this. One, right. Number one being, uh, I remember seeing a documentary about a machine that this guy made where you... They, hook a, they hooked a dude up. It was, like, made of wood, and there were all kinds of, uh, like, wheels, and there was water running. And this guy literally erased a year of this dude's life. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, he was. It was. It was like in this kind of uh, laboratory underneath a tree in the woods. Okay. And uh, this guy was like, he was a he was like a pirate, and he was going after his heart's true love. And this guy strapped him to this machine, and he said, "I have just erased a year from your life. Tell me Whoa. how it felt." And so that's what I I'm wondering. Number one, if that happened, and then number two. As Glenn said, the hour that we lost, who took it, and can Liam Neeson get it back? Oh, oh man. You just yes. blew my mind. Taken four. Taking, taking back Take the hour. Sure. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of my questions is, if we did lose an hour, how does that affect the spiritual wisdom? So mm. for, the po- for the podcast superfans, do they get the same, uh, just this... Like the same uh, amount of wisdom, or is the wisdom diminished with the lost hour? 
Well, you know, by D&D rules, the spiritual wisdom should fully regenerate in every 24-hour period. Wow. <laughs> so. Maximum nerd just yes. happened Glenn's on this offended. podcast. <laughs> that. Man, we started with a Doctor Who reference. <laughs> we, we transitioned into a full, just maybe a full page script. From the Princess Bride being quoted verbatim. Yeah, and I yet mean. somehow Jed still came off the top rope and crushed it all. I still got it. <laughs> I mean, a D&D reference on this podcast. Yeah. That's the lowest we've ever sunk, right? Not there. even close. <laughs> um, but let me, let me try to Well, to be the Jed voice did say earlier in the emergency, we've all been flashed. So, well, yeah. yes. Yeah. I was really hoping we were going to skip on by that, and I'd be able to cut it out later. But now that it's been referenced again, probably not going to. Okay. Here's here, let me just see if I can explain this using just the the science and the facts and the reasons and the logic that the okay. people on the Twitter love so much. Sounds good. It's not, there's no grand conspiracy. What happened is we all just decided, you know, at some point in the past, this is what two o'clock in the morning is. Right. And then everybody said, "Okay, we'll do that." Right. But then twice a year, we decide, wait a minute, we don't like it being there. We'll just move it here. And your phone just does that on its own. Because, because of the lizard people. Well, more because time is not a concrete concept. And uh-huh. really, everything about the way we schedule and live our lives is a delusion agreed upon that is just Whoa. held together with the gossamer thread. Well, yeah, we're, we're all adrift in a tide of chaos, in which all attempt to put form or structure to it is just our own brains trying not to eat themselves. Well, <laughs> right. Well, that's not only does that explain it, but it cheers me right up. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you feel better, Glenn. Here's what here's what's happening. A lot of people say, you know, uh, you know, what what is the longevity of a podcast sure. like this? Here's what happens is this podcast is beamed into the future. Wow. Mm. That means people are listening to this podcast in 3019. Whoa. Wow, dude, that's See crazy. What I'm saying? What's that's- up, 3019? We're talking to 3019 right now. I yeah. want my kid back. I mean, you know, so what sort of message do you want to give the people? Wow. Um... Oh gosh, I really I don't want to screw this up because it feels it's important. Yeah. Like this is a big one. Yeah. Um I got nothing. It's totally I just got nothing. Okay, I got so a question for Jed him. checks. Yeah. Okay. I, I just want to know if you still have French fries. Are y'all still allowed to eat French fries, man? Oh, that's good. That's good. That's yeah. it. Cheetos, uh Mountain Dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Cheetos have become the new French fries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine how would you explain Cheetos to someone in 3019 who wouldn't even know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Fried corn, powdered flavor dust. I mean, it's pretty killer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I imagine You would need like a Rosetta Stone for Cheetos. That's right. Sure. That's <laughs> I, right. I would imagine, uh, given the way things are probably going, in 3019, they don't know what corn is anymore. Sure. But they're very familiar with types of dust, <laughs> so that'll be easy. <laughs> I think uh, here's what it is. We need to get to work right away on how to communicate to people in 3019 about all the awesome cultural things of our time. <laughs> Sure. I mean, we were just talking about the movie Taken. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Amazing movie where, you know, 
someone gets kidnapped and the guy in charge of that person is a guy who gets people back. Right. Which is totally logical. Yes. That happens. Yes. But then he goes and gets the person back and you're like, whoa, that's a good movie. Yeah. Then they said, "That that movie made money. And I said, great. Can we do it again? They say, well, how would that even work? Well, we just take him back. We just, we just, somebody else gets took and then it just happens again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, how are they going to buy that? Hey, look, you know, the whole thing's pretty silly to begin with. And, and, and then they did that a third right. time. You right. see what I'm saying? Right. Well, they did it a fourth time taking four daylight savings time. Okay. So, so we have to explain these things to people in the future because uh, right. they don't understand how awesome that is. Yeah, it's pretty killer. Yeah. So you don't know when people listen to this podcast. Absolutely. It's beamed into the future. Sure. It's a historical artifact. It's the Canterbury Tales of its its new era. <laughs> and and on, on that basis, I declare emergency off and I'm sorry to the people of the future who are listening to this podcast and realizing why there's a downfall of civilization. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, as we end every emergency, I'm also sorry for the people currently listening to this podcast. Cause, oh, they knew what this was. Yeah, they went through a ride. But, you mean uh, people are listening to it as we're recording? That's it? my fault for that's... using a time-sensitive <laughs> word there. But uh, what, what comes out not on a... It, it does come out on a fixed schedule <clears throat> that you can join your own time is Bridgebox. It mm. comes out the first of every month. You can. Now, maybe we'll have a daylight savings month at some point, and the first will shift. But as long as there's a first of a month, Bridgebox will come out. Oh, yes, it will. So, Jed, we're still in the month of March where we're looking at being an overcomer. We've got uh, some great songs from some very talented friends of ours. We've got sermons from Glenn and myself, Bible studies, lots of other good stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox if you want to see what all that is about. Okay, we're going to jump to our first question here. Thank us all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. You can also scroll down into the episode description for those links. Our first question comes into our Tumblr inbox, and it says, what does it mean to take up your cross? It's a great question, and Lee, where do we start off? Um, yeah, it is a great question, and it's one of these kind of Christian-y things that people say a lot, and, and we don't hear a lot of explanation about what it really means. One of the problems I think in understanding this is that there is kind of a there's there's kind of a uh, you know this is kind of a cultural phrase when people say you know I'm taking up my cross what they mean is I'm dealing with a hard situation I'm dealing with a situation I don't want to deal with and that's not what Jesus was talking about when he when he used this phrase to his his disciples his guys the first time I think another thing that's difficult <clears throat> excuse me for us in understanding this is that for us, um, culturally, the symbol of a cross has always been a symbol of hope. The cross for us has always been about grace and forgiveness, uh, you know, God taking our place, uh, dying uh, death for us in our place to forgive us and to, to offer us new life. But for these guys, when, th- when Jesus said these words, a cross was not a symbol of hope. That did not exist yet. When he uttered these words, the cross was a symbol of the of not only death, but the most harsh and horrible death anybody could imagine. The, these guys that Jesus said this to had seen crucifixions. They they had they had witnessed this before. Um, in in uh, the Gospel of Luke, 
when Jesus says this, it's in uh, chapter nine. And it's the, it's the first time that he mentions the idea that he's going to go to the cross. And, and Luke, the author, says that Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. In other words, he was like an arrow pointed at his destination, that he was going to the cross and nothing was going to stop him. He was an arrow loosed from the bow. And he told his guys that he was going to do this. The book of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is a weird thing for, for, for folks at that time to understand, for, for Jesus to be talking about a cross in any kind of a positive way was a very strange thing. And in the context of when he said this in Luke chapter 9, he said, he said not only am I going to go to a cross, but anybody that wants to follow me has to take up their own cross. And so these guys would have understood, understood that to mean death. He went on to, to break this down by saying, If you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you will find it. This is a weird, mystical, otherworldly, upside down, backwards kind of a thing. But when we think about the fact that like, we all have kind of a way we want our life to go. Like I've got my, I got my way I want things to pan out for me. My my own kind of self-preservation, my own kind of self-focus. And, and Jesus was saying to his guys, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to get to a point where you have to decide to put to death that self-preservation and that self-focus. But one thing I can tell you is we've all hit that fork in the road. At some point in our life, at some point in our ministry, at some point in our calling, there was a, a fork in the road where we could either choose kind of self-preservation or self-focus or whatever, or dying to that and choosing another thing. And what he was saying is, if you will die to that, if you will allow a cross, in other words, death, to come into that way, that way you wanted your life to go for your own kind of self-preservation, self-focus, what's going to happen is you're going to find more life on the other side of that. In other words, he started this out saying this, giving them this picture of just this horrible, awful way to die. He's saying, if you want to follow me, there's this horrible, awful way to die. But here's the thing, and that's a hard word, but it's going to lead to more life. So when the book of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, that's the kind of math that we're talking about. And I can tell you this is whatever that thing would be like for you and whatever that thing is going to continue to be like for me, um, any person that I've ever personally known who has let their, that, you know, the way they wanted their life to go, when they've let that die, when they've let that self-preservation or that ego or that self-focus, that self-protection, when they have let that self thing die for the sake of the good news of Jesus, they have always found so much more satisfaction, so much more life, so much joy on the other side of that. It's one of these words of Jesus that sounds harsh, but it's actually the secret that unlocks everything good on the other side. So people always use this phrase to say, you know, I'm dealing with a hard situation. I'm really carrying my cross at work. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm asking you when you come to a fork in the road to choose to die to yourself so that you can find real life on the other side of that. It's a really great point. It's a fantastic place to start off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think uh, Lee is pointing to a very critical aspect of understanding what this uh, verse and this whole this whole concept actually means. 
that is uh, different than the way we would hear people um, maybe try to tell us that means that they're trying to manipulate us into something. I think mm. on, on stuff like this, as, as Lee pointed out, that is very Christian-y language mm-hmm. that maybe goes undefined a lot of times. It is, we don't want to get lost in it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean that, but it can be good to check it against kind of the cultural meaning of that. For sure. And I think in this case, the 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 crux of that, to me, is something that Lee was alluding to, and I'll I'll read it verbatim because so uh, for example this is in, this is the version of this story in Mark eight so just after Jesus says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me if you stop it right there that sounds pretty harsh yeah and there's certain types of people would say see you got to deny yourself yeah yeah this is you know it's sacrificial is what it is Glenn mm-hmm. you gotta you hurt just a little bit right and maybe just hurting is the point and you feel better about that <laughs> right. but he immediately says for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it so what is the overlay of there's self-denial there's taking across mm-hmm. there's bad news and all that there's rough stuff here but it is immediately and inexorably tied to getting something more Absolutely, and I I think you're nailing it uh, in terms of what we need to look at when we read that verse. Uh, as you point out, and rightly so, we hear a lot of people, when I want to manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do, I say, well, you got to take over your cross, brother. It's you not about what you want, it's <laughs> about what Jesus wants. That's right. Um, uh, with everything, we, we alluded to this in a recent podcast, but it bears repeating, uh, God does not call us to senseless suffering. He calls us often to make sacrifices for a reason, and that's all the stuff that Lee was talking about, the idea that you, you're, you're and, and that verse that you were just reading, it's the idea of I'm making a sacrifice, but there's a greater good, that I, a greater joy, a greater purpose, a greater mission that I'm, I'm going after. And if I may add to that, a greater good and purpose mission for me. This is right. not a, right. you have to suck it up and it'll be bad right. for you, but for the collective or whatever, it'll be good. This is a good thing for you. That's right. You're you're going to find a more fulfilling life on the other side of this thing that you are sacrificing, that you are giving up. That doesn't mean that the sacrifice isn't hard, of course. I, I Everything God's ever asked me to give up, I, I thought it was, was, that was my favorite thing. You know, why, how can you ask me to give it up? Uh, and yet, on the other side of it, you're like, oh, well... Thank goodness I got rid of that junk. Uh, so that's uh, that's a big part of what taking up your cross means. Uh, here's the the other thing that he says right after that is follow me, and that's mm. the part where we we maybe lose track of because turns out that the the following of Jesus is the most central thing to our whole faith. This is what he says most often to his people: follow me. It's funny that, that he says that, and we don't key on that very much. We, he didn't say, study me. He didn't say, learn about me, which on a certain level, you know, would kind of make sense. You know, if you, if you just learn a lot about Jesus, doesn't that mean you're like super Christian or something? Sure. You know? uh, he didn't say, behave yourself. He didn't say, you need to, you know, study the scriptures and so on and so forth. He said, "Follow me." He's saying, I, "I'm Amen. the all, I, all I, I'm the one that those scriptures are pointing to." So there's no difference between reading that and following me. So follow me. Um, that means that when I'm making this sacrifice, I'm making it 
in order to follow him. It's not a sacrifice that I make uh, just because I'm trying to follow a rule that I've read in the Bible, and now I don't get to do my favorite thing anymore, and now I'm more holy because I'm not doing something wrong. That's not at all what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, follow him. And it turns out Jesus is going this way, and your sin's in the other direction. So you got to pick one or the other. And so it's about leaving behind this junk in order to follow Jesus to, as Matt's pointing out, a much better circumstance. Yeah. Uh, That doesn't mean there isn't a bumpy road, of course. That that goes with the territory. Uh, But it's a better life. Uh, the the other thing that uh, is said in other uh, versions of that same um, phrase there in other Gospels, he says, take up your cross daily and follow him. And that, I think, is a point where I would want to round this off on is that the, there's the will of God. There's what God wants you to do today, daily, in order to follow him. If you want to follow him, here's what the thing is to do today. There's that, then there's a bunch of BS that you don't need to concern yourself with. That's it. You say, well, you know, I could read my Bible, I could go to church, I could give to the poor, I could do this, I could do that. These are all good things. So if I'm doing any of those, I'm probably a good person. That's not actually what that Bible is telling you. Jesus says, follow me. There's a thing he's got for you to do. So figuring out how to listen to God, figuring out how to take those scriptures and apply them to your life in a personal way, try and get that sense on a daily basis. What is it God's calling me to do? Who is he calling me to be? Do I need to take some rest today? Do I need to give this low self-esteem a break and drop that bag of rocks and quit carrying it around? Do I need to go and, and visit a friend in a hospital? Do I, whatever the things are, let God give you that sense of direction. I think it's really a great point. And Jed, I think that's a fantastic place to pick it up there because uh, both Lee and Glenn are absolutely right in everything they said. And when I think when we talk about the totality of a life where you learn to take up your cross and really kind of take in your walk what that means that's going to be a big thing. That's a yeah. high level concept. That's yeah. a life changing idea as both Lee and Glenn are talking about, but let's say we wanted to break that down to something someone could do tomorrow. Yeah. Where would you actually start in getting on board with that? Well, you know, this is a bit of what's been true in my experience. And I, I think it's worth looking at in your own life as well. You know, we think about deny yourself, take up your cross. So I'm going to, I'm going to quit sinning. So are these, these concrete things that I do, I'm right. using naughty words. I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm going to, you know, that's me taking my cross. The thing that I would encourage you to to begin looking at has a lot more to do with your attitudes and your beliefs. And if you really want to deny yourself, particularly as an American, um, the thing that I would urge you to begin embracing on a daily basis is the following. I could be wrong. Whoa, yeah. Yeah. I have these things that I believe and feel super, super strongly, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong about money and the way money works and the role it should have in my life. I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about relationships and the way they're meant to function and how I should be within them. I could be wrong about politics and what it means to be political or not and a Christian. Yeah. 
I could be wrong about myself and the way that I'm inclined to, to see myself, both strengths and weaknesses. I could yeah. be wrong. Now, that's not co-equal saying I am wrong about all of these things. Therefore, I must not think everything I think. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is it's an openness to God wanting you to have a change of belief and a change of attitude item by item in your life. So it's about going to the Lord and saying, where are you asking me to change my thinking? Where are you asking me to begin seeing things differently as a choice, as a conscious choice that I'm making to look at things differently? And to be clear, that decision of I could be wrong kind of has to come first. Because if you can't imagine that you could be wrong, for example, about money, it's really hard for God to tell you you are wrong in the way that you look at, at money. That it's you. We kind of have to begin with a certain amount of humility. But if we're willing to say, I could be wrong about pretty much anything, I'm, I'm open to that possibility, then we can go to the Lord both through his word and through listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer and through talking with other believers and look for where are my attitudes and views keeping me from the next thing God has for me? Where are they, as, as Glenn put it, Jesus is leading off in this direction And my views and attitudes on this subject are leading me off in this other direction. Where is that conflict? Because if we can get going on that, man, we can really begin making some critical changes in our life. And that takes us back to where Lee started us. Here's the crazy thing. I've had a lot of stuff in my life where the Lord has said, you are so wrong about this. Oh, yes. And you're not a little wrong about it either. Yeah. You're maximum strength wrong about it. And I said, Lord, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like me. I'm usually very right. Yeah, I've got to be in the ballpark with this thing, you know. And lo, the Lord looked on him and said, nope. (laughs) But what's happened as I've gone down that journey of saying, well, it sounds crazy, but I could be wrong. So, you know, let's get into it. My life got so much better. Every area of kind of thought and attitude and viewpoint where I've been willing to let the Lord say, actually, you, you're not looking at this way I want you to look at it. I want to give you a new way to examine and think about this area of life. My life has gotten better in that area. Mm-hmm. All of them. All of them. And I think particularly at kind of this cultural moment, definitely in America, but I, I sense that it's true elsewhere, we are taught to hold so tightly and unwaveringly and unflinchingly to our beliefs about everything. Mm, that yeah. that to even consider that you could be wrong is it's it's like um it's the worst thing a human being could do it's like you're yeah. completely lacking in character right but i think to really be day by day in that process of denying ourselves and taking up our cross means letting god tell us that we are wrong letting god tell us that there are viewpoints and attitudes that need to begin to change and that begins with embracing the idea i could be wrong i think that's absolutely fantastic that's all Really great stuff you heard from these guys. We'll move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, <coughs> I've discovered that during arguments, I tell the same harsh things my parents tell each other while they fight. It's horrible. I know I'm responsible for myself and my words being an adult, but deep down, I think it's kind of their fault. How do I delete this garbage from my mind? And Glenn, an excellent question in almost every respect. So where did we start off? Well, I love this phrase, uh, how do I delete this garbage from my mind? I love that. You know, I I love uh, sometimes when you're in, uh, you know, conversations or counseling moments 
and you hear people say a phrase that's rich like that, you grab a hold of that and say, yeah. let's, 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 let's key in on that. The Holy Spirit kind of, you know, gives you the little uh, ping in your mind that says, oh, that's really great. Uh, because it is garbage. You're, you've got that exactly right. And the idea of deleting it all together, getting rid of all of that and being very thorough about that is a great way of thinking about it. So, so I love your, your heart and your attitude on that. I think that's great. Um, also, uh, uh, deep down, I think it's their fault. I, well, I think it is their influence on your life. That's true. Uh, you and I have to take responsibility for our choices. Uh, we come by our inclinations to do the wrong thing. Very honestly, they're based in real, uh, you know, uh, uh, real circumstances. But we take responsibility for our own uh, actions. Uh, but here's what we we've got: we got fighting. We're fighting with people, and then we're we're doing that in a way that's harsh and mean and sort of out of bounds. Here's where I want you to start with on that. Uh, fear of vulnerability. Yeah. It sounds like a weird way to start this, but here's the thing. People who don't argue uh, fair, uh, that say mean things, because cause this this is the thing, it, you, particularly in, in marriage, learning to argue well is super important. Yep. You're yep. going to argue, but doing that in a way that's constructive, actually, that actually get, yeah, gets us to where we're going and allows us to express ourselves, and we give each other some space on that, and we learn from it. That's good. It, that's a good, uh, or good comes out of it. We could put it that way. Um, but people who have a fear of vulnerability are trying to win uh, every argument, and they are never admitting that they're wrong. If that's where you are, that's the point we need to zero in on is that fear of vulnerability that's driving that attitude. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13, one of our bridge pastors was preaching this in his church recently. I really love this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Mm. So this I think that's the whole thing. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. You don't you don't get ahead by trying to stick with your lie and 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 trying to defend your position. You're not getting ahead with that. But if you can look at your own mistakes and confess it and renounce it, you'll find that mercy. People people can be cool about that. Uh, if you're being vulnerable to someone and they're being a total jerk to you and they're not forgiving you and they're not giving you a chance to build some trust. That may not be a good relationship for you. So that's we've learned something from that. Uh, but you have to put that vulnerability out there where you can say, I was wrong. Mm. You have to be able to do that. If you're able to do that, you can get out of a lot of you know ugly arguments. Um, uh, beyond that, then I think you need to set boundaries with yourself. We talk on the podcast a lot about setting boundaries with other people, but you need to do that within yourself. We might call that discipline uh, or, or self-discipline. But you can discipline yourself in arguments to, for example, I'm going to do no name-calling. Right. That's bad. You know, there's, difference, there's a difference between saying you're acting like a jerk and you are a jerk. That's, that's a name-calling thing. Um, 
uh, I have a terrible habit of doing always and nevers. You're always doing this. You never do this. Right. And uh, I've modified that behavior to where I say, you always do that. And I don't mean always, but it's just a lot. <laughs> but it's not always. I didn't mean to say always, but it's a, almost, but it's a lot. <laughs> Now that's pro- and it's harder to say that in anger because it's very progress. long. Exactly right. You know, it's progress. <laughs> I want some credit for progress. It's still a hot mess, and it's still mostly bad. But that's you know, it's a it's just a terrible, terrible bad habit. And I I you know I have to uh, set that boundary with myself. Uh, we don't want to do any piling on behaviors. We don't want any belittling of people in arguments. You can set those boundaries within yourself and stick to it. Uh, but I think. Uh, Ultimately, a lot of that is going to begin with a vulnerability that means I can admit I was wrong about this, and I can I can talk about uh, my hurts in an open and vulnerable way. This you said this, and it made me feel this way, and I I felt this when you did this, rather than trying to attack the other person on what they are doing in order to win the argument. That's absolutely right. I think that's really fantastic place to start that there's a lot of really good sound kind of helpful advice in there and jed i'd love to get you to pick up on maybe going one level deeper glenn is and glenn is giving us and it's a very important part of something like this when we realize we're doing something we don't like is we need to do some behavior altering yep particularly in this situation where we're doing something that could really damage a relationship or something yep. whether it be the the not name calling the the kind of uh, explaining something out like that, we need to have some behaviors that are just putting a stop on this now. But as we go into that next level down, we're trying to really dig this stuff out at the root. Is it possible that we are missing something just about arguments in general yeah. that is feeding into this? Totally. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I think Glenn has already hinted at it. We need to define some terms for a second. Arguing and fighting are two different things. We equate them in our heads, but they're not the same thing. Uh, and they actually have a huge difference, and it's worth looking at. So um, two human beings are not going to agree on all things at all times. That is not a possibility, and it's not a reasonable expectation. Um, it, you know, There's a lot of weird stuff out there in Christian literature as it pertains to dating and marriage. I'm sure someone has suggested that if you are perfectly matched enough, you will just agree on everything. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> that is that is not true. Well, if you're right. perfectly matched enough and don't hold hands for you're married, then your marriage will be awesome. That's what I heard. Yeah, sure. So the thing about this is you're not going to agree on everything no matter what. That's not a sign of sin or failure or anything else. It's just two people sharing a life together. And so given that, arguing is about finding common ground on an issue where you and your partner see things differently. Um, let me say that again, because that, that bears repeating. Arguing is simply the process of finding ground on an issue where you and your partner see things differently. That's it. You actually don't need to be angry to argue, like at all, at all. Um, you know, you, you think this room should be, uh, you know, off-white. I think this room should be uh, sage. We have two different views. We will now have a discourse where we talk together until we find a solution we can both agree upon. That, that in a sense, is an argument. We are both arguing our side and trying to find common ground and a solution we can both live with. Fighting is about revenge. 
fighting and anger pretty much go together. It's weird to fight if you're not angry. But yeah, if you're fighting a smiling person, you should run. <laughs> you don't want to fight that person. That's right. But again, in a way that we don't often think about, you don't need to be angry to have an argument. You don't need yeah. to be angry to say, you see this one way, I see it a different way, let us talk this all the way out and find common ground and find a solution. That is possible. Now let's take it further. That's actually what you should do. You should argue before you are angry. Yep. You should argue before this could be a fight. You should recognize we don't see this the same way, and we do need to have a dialogue so that we can find common ground before we are emotionally invested in a way that's going to make it harder to have that dialogue and find yeah. a common ground. Argue before you're angry. Trust me. Argue before you're angry. And there's a lot of good reasons. That's good advice in general for pretty much everybody. It's just your argument will go a lot better and a lot faster and be a lot more productive if you do it before you're angry. But as Glenn is pointing out, if you have a struggle in this area, if you know that maybe vulnerability is an issue for you, man, you should argue before you're angry. Man, you should do that. Because yeah. you, you got to know your limits, man. One of the things that Christians are terrible at is they say, okay, I'm going to pick the thing that's so hard for me that it's almost impossible, but then I'm going to try and pull it off that way, and that'll be proof. That, like, that's God, how I know. <laughs> that's how I know. That's proof God was with me in the process. I got two guys I could witness to. One says, I've just been crying out to whatever God might be there. Would you please send someone that could just give me some hope? And I got Boo, a, tin can, barely counts. Then I got another guy. He's like, there is no God, and I hate the concept of a God, and I'm going to punch the next person who even says the word God to me. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's it dude that's how christians are about everything they they want the hard option don't do that here yeah. do no, i you know you've heard us if you listen to podcasts for a while you've heard us tell the story before it's a true story but i'll give you a little background on it years ago we're all hanging out at a mcdonald's late at night we're having a conversation we're talking about a church that we've been dealing with that was misbehaving driving us all crazy and some dude from across the restaurant's been just listening to a whole conversation and he gets up and he walks over and puts his hands on his hip like he's about to dispense the world's greatest wisdom he said i hear you fellas talking about church now the the uh, the next part of the story, if you may have heard before, is I just said nope and just stood up and walked away. No, right, not to anywhere. Didn't pretend to go to the bathroom. Just started walking in the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the reason I did it, and it, it pertains to this topic. Um, I actually have a really super not good temper, and I know this about myself. And I'm aware that if I get to a certain point, I'm going to say and do things I really regret. In my mind, it's like I'm King Kong, and it's really right. powerful and impressive. In reality, sure. it's just sad and pathetic, right. and it's it's just not good for anyone. <laughs> right, it's, right. oh, right. oh. Right. And this is the thing. In that moment with the dude, I hear you fellas talking about church. I could just feel that flash within me of, if I'm here another 10 seconds, I'm going to really regret it. So, right. nope. Right. Now, that's, I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad, but it is one thing. It's knowing your limits. Yeah. It's knowing yeah. when you're about to make a fool of yourself. That's a strength not a weakness. Yeah. We can talk in the fullness of time. Well, maybe we want to say, let's work on that temper and get it where it's harder to trigger that. That's fine. That's worth doing. That's worth looking at. You should still know where your limits are today and respect where they are today. If you're inclined to say hateful things when you get a certain level of angry, I think we should look at not getting to that point of anger and figuring yeah. out how do we deal with these situations 
before we get there. If that is driven by uh, a fear of vulnerability, then we for sure, for sure should be looking at that fear of vulnerability as well. This is a both and kind of situation, but know your limits. Don't let yourself get pushed into a place where you are going to be strongly tempted to do things you will later regret. People who avoid stuff they regret, it's not because they're magically stronger than the rest of us. It's because they have a better sense of their own limits than the rest of us, and they know how to avoid those situations. That's an excellent point. And Lee, I think that goes right to where we should pick this up to have you close it out, which is uh, what makes that strategy that Jed's describing work is realism. And a lot of Christians are really bad at realism. So there's a, no, I don't want the strategy for like, managing the temptation I can put up with. I want the strategy that means I'll never ever be pushed too far and I'll just have awesomeness within me in the same way. It is not good to say, well, I mean, if I had a strategy for what would happen when I inevitably do this thing that is coded into my DNA (laughs) and is a reflex, because that feels like, you know, quitter talk. I've already failed. Yeah, absolutely. I, you put, fail to plan, you plan to fail is what happens, gentlemen. Yeah, I've often said that. Yes. But so uh, here's the thing for our friend who's writing this in and anyone who's had a similar thing. Um, you're going you're gonna to take the advice these guys are giving you. You're going to do your level best to apply it. I believe that. And there's going to be a moment where someone pisses you off and you are going to have said that thing before your defenses got up to not say the thing. So Lee, yeah. pick us up there. All right, and and in order to do this, I, I I love the way you set this up, Matt, because whenever whenever like a, a you know I I do uh, youth ministry, and uh, so I work with high school, middle school, college age guys a lot, and you know inevitably guys will call me um, just kind of as a just kind of as a, as an example, guys will call me to talk about you know pornography and and how do I get out of this? And the first thing that I'll always say is, okay, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to call me right after, you know, like after the next time you do it. And they're always like, what? I thought we were going to stop it. And I'm like, no, I, I need some, I need more information. So I just want you to call me the next time it happens. And then we're going to, I've got some questions for you and stuff like that. And that's always so confusing for them. Cause they're like, wait, I thought you were going to give me like the magic key that was going to, and I was never going to do it again. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you're going to do it again. And then we're going to talk about some stuff on the back end of that. And so this is the same kind of deal. It's like, exactly as Matt's saying, this is, you grew up like this. And, and I can sympathize, man, because I grew up in the same house, man. I, I grew up in the same thing where conflict management was exactly like this, where it was dramatic. It was full of regret. It was full of ridiculousness. And and it was one of these things where I found myself thinking as a kid, I'll never talk to my kids this way. And then I found myself doing it. And, uh, and, and, and I scared myself, you know? And it was one of these things of like, I, I made myself sad, I, all this kind of stuff. Had all these emotions off of this. And one of the things that I realized, and, and I learned this uh, from my wife, which, you know... Uh, <laughs> This is where we learn all the really good stuff is from our wives. But the thing, one of the things that I learned from my wife was when you inevitably fall in this area again, let's make this the plan, that we're going to do exactly what Glenn said. I love this piece about the vulnerability. And because this is going to happen, but let's do this. Let's do the not fun step of the humility our parents never showed us and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Let's start there. And here's the thing. You have no idea how 
powerful humility is. It is a raging fire for change. Say that. It's unbelievable how powerful humility is. One of the things I realized when I became a parent, I I watched Christy one time uh, when, uh, and I may have said this on the podcast years ago, I can't remember, but I remember our our oldest daughter, um, who's now like, you know, in high school, was like a, a toddler. And, you know, something happened, some, something went off the rails, and Christy gets down on her knees and looks this toddler in the eye and says, you know what, I handled that wrong, and I'm sorry, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I looked at Christy, and I was like, hold on, you're her mother. Whatever you say goes in this house. You don't have to apologize to anybody, you know? And I was on a whole thing, and Christy looked at me and said, no, I was wrong. I, I sinned against this child. I'm asking her forgiveness. And I was like, whoa. I I had never seen this before. I had never seen an adult admit to a younger human being that they were wrong. I had never I'd never seen it from a parent. I had never seen it from a coach. I had never seen it from a teacher. I had never seen it from a youth worker, from a deacon, from a pastor, anybody. I could not remember before that moment in my life, one time where an adult human being said to a younger human being, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And that had such an indelible impact on my life. And what it did for me was... Um, it gave me the freedom, uh, it gave me the, the, uh, the permission to go ahead and exercise that same humility the next time I was uncool to somebody. And so I said to them, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not giving you any new information. Glenn has already rolled this out. But what I'm saying to you is, here's the cool thing, by the way, about your question. In writing this question, you're already doing the, the first step, which is that you're repenting. I, I don't know if you know that. Uh, we, we have this idea in the church that repenting means I feel bad and I turn 180 degrees or whatever. Really, the, repenting just means to change your mind about something. And that's what you're doing. You're changing your mind about a learned behavior that is, a, that is part of your culture of origin. And so, number one, bravo. Like, this is awesome. You are in the midst of repenting. This is a beautiful and a spirit-filled moment. When you add humility to repentance... Dude, you are going to take off. This is going to be, you're going to go on like a house on fire. And it's, the whole thing is going to change. When you give yourself permission to, to exercise the vulnerability that these guys are talking about, to say to another human being, I was wrong and I'm sorry, it is going to change everything. What's going to happen is that person's, especially, especially, especially if it's a child, I can tell you this. Telling one of my children, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And watching the, the I mean, the, the absolutely lightning quick speed of their mercy and forgiveness, the forgiveness of a child is the fastest thing in the known universe. And they will throw it on you and, and throw the kisses and the hugs on you, and it will so it will so convince you of the power and the beauty of, of vulnerability and humility and forgiveness that it's going to change the way you behave. It really, really is. And so I, I'm not saying anything new, but what I am saying is let's plan for the next time. The next time that this happens, because just like Matt said, this is embedded in your DNA. You learned this at home, just like I did. You learned this crap, and no adult ever told you they were wrong. When you tell somebody that you were wrong, you are going to find power in that moment, and it is going to change your life. It's going to be awesome.
absolutely right. We're going to go to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I have heard and believe that no matter what your past or your background is, God can use you. But what does God using you actually mean? And Jed, where would we kick off with this? Well, it's a great question. We're glad you wrote in. So this is going to sound a little bit simple, but go with me for a second. Uh, God using you means that God uses you to accomplish his goals. Mm. That's, that's kind of it. All right. So then the next question would be, what are his goals? All right. Well, I'm glad you asked. That's an excellent follow-up question. So one key goal, and it comes up a lot in the Bible, is easing the suffering of the disadvantaged. Uh, There's a lot of places that you could read about that, but here's a key one. This is James. This is chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's pretty cool. Let's read that one more time. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So, if God is using you to accomplish his goals, and that's really all it means for God to use you, and one of his goals is easing the suffering of people who are going through a hard time, Uh, folks who are, um, there are some some cultural trappings to the idea of orphans and widows specifically, but more broadly, anybody who's disadvantaged, anybody who kind of has things stacked against them, anybody who is, um, you might call them the least of these, uh, that helping to make their lives better, to ease their suffering, that that would be one of God's key goals. And that, in fact, if you were to be involved in doing that even a little bit, you're actively taking part in God's work. You're actively taking part in things that God really cares about and has been super, super clear about. So there's a few things on this that are worth examining because they're all really good news. The first is there's no threshold of holiness that you have to hit before God can use you. Um, If you've come up around certain churches, denominations, whatever, you might have a sense that, like, you basically have to have no lifestyle sins of any kind, and then maybe God might consider using (laughs) you, maybe. Sure, you're you're useful to the kingdom on a probationary period, and maybe at some point we'll get you onto a full-time position. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. None of that's true. Um, I, I, all of us have at this point been working with folks coming out of prison, out of gangs, out of drug addiction, out of homelessness for a long time. Uh, I've never ladled soup into a bowl and had someone say, before I receive this soup, how's your spiritual life, bro? (laughs) What's the condition of your heart soup, man? Yeah. It's just, ah, soup. And you seem nice. That's it. That's great. That's fine. So the first thing is you can begin being used by God today. It's, that's fantastic. The next thing you don't have to, you know, get your spiritual house in order, which is a great phrase that is totally great. Jed's on fire. (laughs) Right. You don't have to get your spiritual house in order. You can actually just begin helping people today and being a part of God's work. The next thing is you don't need a special set of skills in order to be used by God. We have in our culture at this point, a fixation on preachers and a fixation on worship leaders. We should stop that. There is nothing special about preachers. There is nothing special about worship leaders. Amen. And it's worth noting, we probably full up on both of them anyway. So um, what we really need, though, critically, are people with the spiritual gift of serving others. 
just serving yeah. other people. There's a million practical ways to do that. That could be um, ladling soup. That could be mowing lawns. That could be teaching kids to read at you know Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, that could be visiting with folks that are infirmed. There's a million ways to do that, but you don't need a special or impressive set of skills in order to do that. You you just do not need that. What you need is a willing heart. Another thing that you don't need, critically, you don't need a bunch of Bible knowledge to be used by God. There are some very, very specific things, like if you want to teach Bible at the university level, where maybe you do need a bunch of Bible knowledge. But as it turns out, there are a lot of other ways to be used by God. So we we don't need a certain level of spiritual togetherness. We don't need, you know, really impressive skills and talents. We don't need a bunch of Bible knowledge. It's just a willing heart. That's that's, that's really the key thing. And what I've found in my life is when I've gone to God and I've said, I want to be used by you, I have a willing heart and not much else, he is delighted with that Amen. offer. That's uh, nothing make him happier than that. And he will take you up on that. He's going to take you through all kinds of amazing adventures. You may find along the way you develop all kinds of interesting skills and you, your knowledge of the Bible is going to go up in ways that you didn't anticipate. And it's going to be cool. And the more that you get involved in God's work, the less some of the, the lifestyle sin stuff has an interest to you. So actually some of that may go down as well. So a lot of the things you thought you needed before you started you may find in a weird way you acquire as you go along that journey, but you don't need any of them to start. You can just start, and God's ready for that to begin today, and we're ready Amen. to begin for that to begin today so we can cheer you on and celebrate those victories with you. A yeah. really, really fantastic point. And Glenn, let, let's pick it up because one of the nice things about this question is we don't actually have to... Uh, to do a, I don't have to do a lot of setup because there's a lot of answers here. Yeah. So what's another aspect of this we would look at? Well, you know, a lot of what Jed is talking about here is living out the message of the gospel, you know, being the hands of being an incarnation of it, being its hands and feet. And uh I think that's uh that's that's where it should begin. I think we we ought to be uh living it before we're we're just preaching about it. In other words, I, if someone sees you ladling out soup, they're going to be, as, as Jed's suggesting, a whole lot more open to hearing what you have to say on anything. Say that. Uh, so I think uh, that in ministry we call that earning the right to be heard. Uh, so ultimately... Uh, we've got a message of hope, uh, uh, good news uh, to carry to the world. That's that's what God wants us to do. Uh, again, that should begin with our actions. Uh, so, so if you dig what I'm saying, when I say carry the message, I don't mean talking. I mean doing it and listening and <laughs> helping. And yes, talking is somewhere in that mix, but uh when i say carry the message you might have might be thinking of just the talking part and the thing is if you don't do all the other stuff the talking part isn't really going to succeed all that well <laughs> so we we that's why we flesh that out um uh but it's also important you know you say well you know you know i've got a past and a background as you're saying here uh you know you know uh, how it, how does god actually use someone with that well Here's the thing, it's not just the message that we carry, but it's where it comes from. You know, when, uh, uh, when we talk uh, to pastors about preaching, 
uh, we are always talking about coming in on the right note, and because we're all sort of uh, musically inclined on the show, so we use uh, the language of that a lot, I suppose. But it's this idea of, you know, if everybody in the room is sad about something, you 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 need to come in on that note, even if you're leading them towards something hopeful and positive and optimistic. You don't preach a funeral and say, well, this should be a happy occasion. You know, that's, that's not how they, you don't do that. Uh, He's know. in heaven. Why are you crying, heathens? <laughs> right. You know, uh, so th- so we that means the direction this message is coming from makes a big difference. So uh, if, if, uh, if you tie that in with uh, what Lee was talking about in the last question about humility, you know, if, if you could say, uh, you know, God can forgive you of anything, I know because God has forgiven me of things I thought were unforgivable. Right. Well, that that mm-hmm. changes things. In other words, why doesn't God, if God wants to send a message to the world, why didn't he just write it in blazing letters across the sky? Why would he want someone like you or me to do that? Well, it's because he wants people to encounter this on their own level with a voice that sounds like theirs, that that uh, that that addresses where they're at and what they're dealing with. So uh, God wants to use you and he wants to use me uh, to be the hands and, and feet of the gospel and to, uh, to come from a place that people can relate to. Uh, that means if you think about this as a as a journey, a person is starting, from a point of being lost, and you're trying to help them be found and uh, help them find that path that gets uh, them closer to the Lord, what you need to do is map out the road from where they are to where they need to be. And it turns out, if you're going to minister to anybody, mapping that road out is really the whole thing. That doesn't mean telling them where to go. That's just the point on the other end. You know, you see someone who's drinking and say, you know what you need to do? You need to stop drinking. Well, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Thank you, stranger. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's, that's nothing. <laughs> I thought this stuff was healthy. That's right. <laughs> you know, I thought it was chock full of vitamins. No, that's not how this works. That's the end goal. What you're supposed to be telling people is how to get there. If you don't know, why don't you grab a big old bag and shut the heck up and leave people alone? <laughs> if you If you know how to map the road out, uh, then that's that. Even if they're not ready to take that journey today, they know how to on their own when the time comes. So it makes sense, or ought to make sense to you, that wherever you were at at your lowest point, the 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 journey you took to get from that place at your low point to where you are now, you can map out every inch of that, and you can tell people. When you walk that journey, you're going to see my fingernails where I hung on just barely and the part where I slid back and then had to climb back up it again. And then I got uh, my foot stuck in this hole for five days and I had to finally figure something out and pull myself out of that. And you can map out all that territory really well. You know, in the future, you can learn by listening to other people about how they've gotten out of their messes and, and and help people in that way. But for right now, as Jed's pointing out, you even just having come one step from totally messed up, you know how to tell somebody about that first step. 
And the first step is the most important step. So you have the opportunity to be effective for the Lord right now. Absolutely right. That is all really fantastic stuff there. And Lee, I'd love you to just close this out by there was a phrase that uh, Glenn mentioned, which I think is worthy of an unpacking all on its own. And that's the idea of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Because yeah. I think that really speaks to the core of this. And it's a it's an awesome phrase. It's an awesome concept. But it's one much along the line of earlier as we were talking about take up your cross. It's sometimes just thrown out there uh, and not really fully delved into. So where yeah. do we pick up being the hands and feet? Yeah, I love I love this phrase. Glenn also just in breaking that down used the phrase incarnation, you know, that Jesus in John chapter 1 it says the word became flesh and and dwelt among us. I love the message version of that that says the word put on skin and moved into the neighborhood. You know, and I, I, just to kind of break this down, I I really just want to as some churches say it, you know, the best way for me to to talk about this is just to testify. Um you know, after we had a we had a our second baby, and uh, and sometimes you know when you're in a church body, uh, you'll go through situations and they'll put you on the meal team list. So they'll you know you're in a you're in a tough situation. So folks at the church will bring you meals. And I remember we were <clears throat> we had one baby who was who was almost three years old, and then we had this brand new baby, and uh, and so some ladies from the church were bringing us meals. And one lady whose name was Linda brought us this meal, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, because as soon as she dropped the meal off, you know, everybody's bringing meals, and it was great, and they were kind of showing their their greatest meal that they could cook. You know, they were pulling out all the gourmet cooking, you know, stops and everything. It was amazing, and you could eat, you know, like a fourth of it. And then, uh, but this lady, Linda, drops off this meal, and it was fried chicken and mac and cheese. Mm. And I thought, Linda's a genius because she knows I've got an almost three-year-old in this house I need to feed, and that's the person in my house that needs to eat right now. And when she was, when I thanked her for it, she, she said, you know, I remember when I had a kid, and then people were bringing meals and for my second baby, and I remember thinking, I wish they would make a meal for the little toddler I've got in the house and not for the adults. And you know, so when when they told Linda that we needed a meal, the Lord put that memory in her mind, that moment in her mind, and so we didn't even know how to express the thing that we most needed. But the Lord knew what we needed because the Lord knew to, knew that Anna needed to eat. You know, this baby Anna needed to eat while we had the the newborn Nora at the house, and uh, and and He put that idea, that memory in Linda's mind, and she made the perfect meal that a toddler would eat. It was the most awesome little congruence of you couldn't have you couldn't have made this up, but literally the 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 love that the father had for us was expressed through the hands of, of Linda who made this meal for us. We had a car breakdown one day and a lady from the church called me literally 45 minutes after this car broke down and every time she calls me when I pick up the phone she says, "Hey baby." And uh, just you know, an older lady in the church. I picked it up, she said, "Hey baby, I got a question for you. You need a car?" And I'm telling you, this was 45 minutes after my car broke down. I'm wondering what's going to happen. And I said, yes, I need a car. And I was just praying about it. And she said, I got a car for you. Literally, she was the answer to the prayer that I had just sent up to the Father. I mean, I'm sending a prayer up. She was literally the hands and feet of Jesus. When you make brownies for somebody that's having a hard day, 
This, you know, you know that feeling when you're walking with the Lord and the Lord just puts a squeeze on your heart about somebody? Mm. Yeah. And then you think of something that you could do. Maybe I could write them a note or maybe I, I send them a text or, or I'm going to send them a little Spotify link to this song that's been encouraging me. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know why I'm sending this. This is just a squeeze on my heart. This is literally the Lord of heaven who knows what they're going through, knows exactly what they need, is putting that squeeze on your heart. You serve somebody else. God is literally using you to express, as Jed said, to accomplish his goals, to express love, to express encouragement, to get to to imbue them with strength, to show them that he's there, to remind them of his of his faithfulness and his goodness to them. I mean, you literally you respond to those squeezes, to those little moments where the Lord just puts a little burden on your heart for somebody, and it may be as simple as a text message. Hey man, you're on my mind. How's that thing going with your family? And then that brother texts you back and says, I can't believe you hit me with that. I'm having such a hard time. Will you pray for us? Thank you for hitting me up. I mean, that's one of those moments that should send the chills all over you. Like, whoa, the God of heaven who invented thermodynamics just used me literally to encourage this brother. That's an amazing thing, man. And as Jed said, you don't have to be qualified. In Isaiah chapter six, it says that all like all the heavenly host is is assembled, and the God and God is saying, like, who will I send and who will go? And this dude just goes, I'll go, and that's it right there. As Jed said, that's the attitude. Just somebody that says, I- I'll go. If if you tomorrow just say to God, to your Father, Hey, uh, I don't know uh, who you need to love on today, but uh, in whatever capacity I've got and whatever strength I've got and whatever resources I've got, I'll go, uh, point me somewhere. Oh man, he loves that. That's the whole ballgame right there. Just the heart that says, here I am, send me. That's from Isaiah chapter six. You have that kind of heart, that kind of attitude. Watch out, man. You'll be doing cool little stuff. To you, it's little. To them, I'll tell you what, that fried chicken and mac and cheese, I will never ever forget that meal. I'll never forget it. God literally used that that woman in that moment to minister to our family in a way that that I'll never forget. Absolutely right. Awesome. There was a there was a time recently when I I thought I was feeling a tug on my heart, but that was too much fried chicken and mac and cheese. Right. So it is possible to overdo it. Let's keep <laughs> Clear on that. That's all really, really fantastic stuff here. And much like we were talking about the taking up your cross, it actually applies to this as well. Um, the good news about this is there's, we talked about those stuff. There's going to be a dialing it in. There's going to be learning to listen, which we talk about on the show a fair amount and refining and, and figuring out. But if you just start out thinking, Jesus probably wants me to do nice things for people and need a nice thing done for him. It's kind of hard to screw that up yeah. Yeah. in a way that makes anything worse. Which, as Glenn pointed out, it's it's easy to screw up preaching yeah. in a way that makes oh, things worse, yeah. <laughs> and that may be the majority of preaching that's going on in the world, both from professionals and amateurs. <laughs> yeah. So, if you want to say, "I don't really know what this is," what's a way to start that will immediately start working? Doing something nice for someone who is having a hard time is a great place to go, and it's pretty darn foolproof. Brownies. Right, brownies. Start with brownies. Yeah. If you have a question, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. They have a song this week. This is an old favorite from our friend, the very talented musician, Mr. Peter Lawson. This is his version mm, of the hymn, A yeah. Mighty Fortress. Woo. Take out that. 
Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Attention, people of the future. Enjoy your visit to the Intergalactic Museum of Say That. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Put that on the PA, you know. Almighty Fortress is our God, our bulwark, never failing, our helper he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, Let go. Let go. Say.
promise forever.